A thank you to the Dorskis for sponsoring tonight's cheer in honor of Mrs. Dorsky's father, Shloshim. Shmuel Gedalia ben Mordechai Meir HaKohen, his neshama should have an aliyah. Are we too insular? Are we too isolated and secluded from the rest of the world? I don't think so. Have a good evening. This is a topic I'd like to uh, delve into together. Tonight I will present one side of the equation. So if we walk out of here 30 minutes from now, only having this piece of the puzzle, we will not have the entirety of the Hashkafa Satora on this subject. But I think it's important to really understand and, and taste both studim, both sides of this question, to be able to arrive at, at something that we could actually uh, have a clarity, have a tangible perception of what is a valid Torah Hashkafa regarding the question, are we too sheltered or are we not sheltered enough? There's a, a two-volume book, Jewish Eternal. This is written by Diane Grunfeld, translating from Rosham Rafal Hirsch. In his foreword to the second volume, Diane Grunfeld writes as follows. Although Hirsch wrote these essays about 100 years ago, they are still realistic and cogent and applicable to the current issues of present-day Jewish life. When did Diane Grunfeld write these words? In 1956. And they're still realistic, cogent, and applicable to present-day Jewish life. He explains that the confrontation of Judaism with the social, economic, and cultural problems of Europe was very different than our reality living in the Middle Ages. In the Middle Ages, we lived in ghettos, We were enclosed by those walls, and although they were intended to humiliate us, nevertheless, they also served as a shelter, a shelter for religious life. The religious problems created by emancipation have never been solved. They've been shelved. They've been put aside. He writes, tragically, for many years we were able to live with this dynamic of not really addressing the, the struggles or the, the uh, challenges of emancipation, of having more freedom and having more of an acceptance within the, the surrounding culture until the Holocaust. Because we always had that safe haven in Eastern Europe, that bastion of Torah, where we didn't really have to address all the issues that were taking place with modernity because we had that stronghold of Yiddishkeit. However, that reservoir has unfortunately disappeared, and alas, one-third of our people. The remainder now live in the sphere of Western civilization, whose clash with traditional Jewish values and traditional Jewish way of life becomes more acute from day to day. And again, this is 1956. So it's becoming more acute from day to day. 
how do we address the blessing of acceptance and therefore the challenge of, of being uh, at least superficially welcomed into the outside world? There are three possible ways. There are three possible reactions. Right, Stein Grunfeld, the first is to ignore the issue, to evade it. The protagonists of this social, of this school of thought, deliberately take upon themselves the continuation of the ghetto in the social and cultural sphere with the aim of preserving by this voluntary isolation the integrity of Jewish religious life and learning. Whether such a course, which has been working fairly well for the last hundred years in the closed settlements of Eastern Jewry, will also work in Western civilization, he concludes, remains to be seen. And perhaps now we'll have more 2020 hindsight, looking at, at this experiment, so to speak, of Jewish life um, about 70 years later. But that's one reaction, which is basically, we keep on doing our things, we, we have a, a fortitude to, to remain isolated, even though we may not have to, creating these, these virtual walls around ourselves, continuing in that, in that ghetto mindset, for the sole purpose of the continuity and the preservation of authentic Yiddishkeit. That's option number one. Option number two, and this we're not going to spend much time on because it's not really an option, but he was writing this as a response to reform Judaism in the 1800s. Option number two is to modify or disregard halacha. Okay, that's option number two. Not going to work for us. The third way, though, is to remain loyal to authentic Judaism in all of its details, both in religious doctrine and practical observance, and yet to come to grips with the religious problems created by emancipation of the Jews and their participation in the social, economic, and cultural life. If you had to guess which one of these three options he's leaning more towards, right? It's probably the third, as we'll see momentarily. This way, so it seems to me, follows naturally from the appointed task of the Jew to be a light onto the nations, to witness to God and to the spiritual values in life, and to participate actively in the supreme task of bringing nearer the kingdom of God on earth. Concludes Dayan Grunfeld of Shamshunafel Hirsch chose the third way. Part of the discussion, and we'll have to leave this for uh, a different Tuesday night, but it's very connected, is taking a step back and asking ourselves, what is the mission of Klal Yisrael? What is the goal of the Jewish people as a nation? Because obviously, asking whether or not we're too sheltered, should we be more out there and more proactive and more part of society, or should we be trying harder to distance ourselves from society is very much based on, well, what are we supposed to be doing here as a nation? Right? So those two discussions are very intertwined. What I'd like to do this evening, though, is spend a few minutes promoting the first option, which is 
isolation, seclusion, creating virtual walls around ourselves, maintaining somewhat of that ghetto mindset to be able to continue and preserve authentic Yiddishkeit. We have the famous Rashi where he explains that the message that Yaakov sends to Esav is Im lovin garti vitaryag mitzvah shemarti velo haroim I was living with Uncle Lavan, and while I was there, although it was difficult, I was shomer toru mitzvos. And I did not learn from his evil, corrupt ways. Now, why would he choose to send that particular message to Esau as he was approaching with the intent of killing his brother is a question, but that's beyond the scope of our discussion. Reb Zedel Epstein, who was the, he was a mashgiach in, in originally Torah Vedas, and then in RJJ, and then when he was about 70, he moved to Eretz Yisrael, and he was a mashgiach in Torah Or, with Scheinberg. He has a Sefer Ha'oros, and he brings up the following question. Why does Rashi have to say both, Taryag Mitzvah Shemarti, that I kept the Torah, and then add, Velo Lamadati Mi Maisav Haroyim? I didn't learn from his ways. Obviously, if I'm keeping the Torah, that means by definition, I'm not learning from the lifestyle of Uncle Lavan. What are these two expressions? Taryag mitzvah shemarti and lo lamadati mimaisav haroim. Explains Reb Zedel Epstein. Mikan raya, from here we see clearly in Rashi. It's possible to have a human being who is fully committed to keeping the mitzvot and being diligent in halacha, knowing exactly what he's supposed to do and doing it well. But it's still possible that I could be learning from the secular environment in which I live, and b'mahus, in my essence, in my identity, I could be very far removed from a ben Yisrael, a ben Torah, a bas Yisrael. I could be mekayim all of the mitzvos, taryag mitzvos shemarti, but it's possible theoretically that I'm still absorbing so much from the outside world, from the society around me, that the essence, my identity, my core, is something so separated and, and removed from the real essence of Yiddishkeit. So Yaakov was telling Esav, you should know, not only was I Makaim the mitzvos, I did what I was supposed to do, but even in my machshavid, my hashkafa, in my worldview, in my identity, I didn't learn from Lava. When we're living in a reality of Gullis, where we don't have to look that far to be bombarded with ideas and ideologies and concepts and aspirations that are so foreign to Judaism, that are so disconnected to real Torah values, it's very difficult for us to stand up and declare 
Taryag mitzvah shemarti velo lemadati from the world around me. Can we really say velo lemadati? Maybe taryag mitzvah shemarti, but it's very difficult to make that declaration about ourselves. I'm not influenced by the outside world. My identity, my, my, internal, my internal reality is coming from Hashkafa Satorah. So what's the option? Do we run away? We'll move to Eretz Yisrael. Not a bad option. <laughs> not a bad option at all. It's not perfect in Eretz Yisrael either, though. Even Eretz Yisrael is in Golis. So there's a famous Rambam. The Rambam tells us, he explains that by nature, human beings are very influenced, obviously, by our environment. Derech Briyosu Shaladam Lios Nimshach Bedeosav Umaisav Achereyav Achaverov. Not only what I do, but also how I perceive the world and how I think, my political views, my religious uh, perspective, it's influenced by the group of friends and family in which I live. So, given that, Choose your friends wisely. Connect yourself to tzadikim, to chachamim, tamidah chachamim, because you can't avoid being influenced. That's not within my realm of Bechira. I will be mushpa. I will be influenced. What I can choose, though, is the environment I want to be influenced from. So continues the Rambam addressing this problem that we're bringing up. If you're living in a place where the culture, society around you, they're not going in that proper path. So what should you do? Go to a different place where they have a higher level of, of morality. If, however, you're living in a time where I could look at all the different areas that potentially I could move, but there's no one place I feel comfortable. I'm going to settle here, and everybody around us will be a positive influence. So then what do I do? Now, has this ever happened before in the history of humanity, where you can't find one place to point to on the map and say, I would feel comfortable here? The Rambam says, yeah, kamo zmanenu. Zmanenu meaning in the 1100s. So what do you do in that case? Yeshiv levado yechidi. If the only option to avoid as much as possible the outside influence is you sit and you dwell alone. Do your own thing. Let's say you're living in a political environment where there is so much pressure and there is so much propaganda not like this could be happening in places in America, but theoretically, you're living in a place where by having your own view of morality, you will be looked upon as backwards, primitive, and evil. Right? Just hypothetically. So what do you do in that case? Concludes the Rambam. 
If the people, the Medina in which you're living, will not allow you to have your own views and do your own thing, but they require you to join in philosophically and ideologically with what they're promoting as the truth, so then the only option is Go out to the forest, go to the caves, go to the desert. Basically, run away from civilization. That's your only option. So, ladies and gentlemen, I propose. (laughs) It's been a pleasure. I really enjoyed our time together. But I think it's time to go. It's time to go. So this is how the Rambam addresses the problem of the outside influence of the world. If you have no better option, run away. Now, realistically speaking, if theoretically we were to pack our bags and move to the middle of nowhere, how long would that last? Right, not very long. Unless we have that training of how to survive in the wilderness and learn how to hunt you know, Matan could teach us some of these, uh, these tools, how to make your own little cabin. But likely that's not, not a realistic option. So explains the Chazanish. The Chazanish said, it's possible to fulfill the words of the Rambam, b'machshavto, in the way we perceive the world around us. It's not easy. But it's, it's possible that even while living in a society, in a culture where there is so much that's, that's so removed and so distracting from Torah values, I could create this mindset that I'm in my own place. I have my own makom. I'm not mashubit. I'm not, I'm not connected. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not directed by the world around me. It's possible to have an isolation, a mental isolation. And that could be one potential way of fulfilling the advice of the Rambam. Now, how do we do that in a healthy, productive way is not simple. Another facet of human nature, besides being influenced by the people around us, is that whatever conduct we see, even if at first, our, our reaction is, I can't believe this is happening. How could society get to a point where this is viewed as acceptable and it's promoted and it's actually, it's sanctified, it's cherished? How did we get here? That might be your first reaction and your second and your third, but then you press fast forward. Fast forward 10 years where this which was a shock to the system is continuing. And it's becoming more ingrained in the culture to the point where you find yourself feeling embarrassed to say anything to the contrary of what's happening around you. What that does is it chips away at your own resolve. It takes away your own fortitude and clarity because now you're the odd man out. You're the crazy one. You thought that was crazy, but now you begin to question your own perception. Maybe I'm the one who's off. Maybe they're the ones who are being progressive and accepting. And and, and I'm the backwards one. 
And the more we see something and the more we're exposed to something, it becomes, it becomes acceptable. And eventually, unless I'm fighting against it, it's something that I'll slowly dissolve into. The Rambam and the Sefer HaMitzvos quotes from the Sifra that when the Torah tells us, do not follow their statutes, do not emulate or imitate the, the laws and customs of the non-Jewish world. One example of that is, if a person looks around and they say, oh, what are they doing? Ha'ish no say ish, ve'isha no sa'as isha, ve'isha l'shnei anashim. Their whole, their whole definition of life and family is so incredibly different. Okay, I could live with that. This is true from a moral standpoint. It's even true when it comes to styles and attraction. People assume that attraction is something that's, that's more intrinsic or it's more objective. I, I like that. Right? Th- this looks good to me. Right? The classic example is you look back at a picture of yourself from 20 years ago, the glasses you were wearing then, <laughs> and you cringe. I can't believe I was wearing those glasses. And the hat, you see how big the brim of that hat was? And yet I have memories, it wasn't that long ago, that when I got my hat before getting married, some of my friends were telling me, you know, the, the brim is a little bit small. Like, like nowadays, it's really more of a, of a wider brim that's still somewhat too small. And now I look back at those pictures, what was I doing? So even what we view as attractive, as beautiful, is totally biased. It's based on what I'm told is attractive and beautiful. The halacha speaks, it's Gemara and Shabbos, and the Shulchan Aruch speaks about different types of jewelry that women are allowed to wear on Shabbos. When they go outside, there's no Eruv. There's one very tight necklace that was worn around the neck. For what purpose? To create, if, if Nabuch, he didn't have a real Gishmak double chin, what this would do is give you the appearance of a Balas Basar so you could be more attractive. Everything is based on society. Ramosha Feinstein writes that we see this even having an impact with children. He says, Kol shekein This is not going back to 1956, but it's going back to 1975. In this generation, The whole notion of of morality has become hefker. We don't have the same guidelines and structure as we used to have. Even small children are being raised with, with this. They're being fed this new hefkerus. And even the non-Jewish world realizes. Even those who created the smartphone understand the damage it's doing to their children. They're the first ones to say, my kid will not have one of those phones. 
וזה ידוע, and then he shares with us something that we know all too well to be true. כי הרוח השורר בקרב הנעורים, whatever that spirit is that you find amongst the youth, that will penetrate the walls, whatever those conceptual walls are, that ruach, that hefkerus, will penetrate those walls and have an influence even on the most Haredi of the Yehudim who are trying to live more of a sheltered life. This is the reality in which we live. Our exposure, our identification with it, is by definition something that, that really chips away at our own clarity. And we might be mekayim the mitzvos. We might still be able to say, taryag mitzvos shemarti. But it becomes that much more difficult to say, velo lamadati mimaisav haroim. I didn't learn. I didn't learn from the outside world. We're learning a lot from the outside world. When it comes to children, it's even more of a danger because the way they look at life is not just I'm observing and then I have my own opinion based on what I'm seeing, based on what I'm witnessing, but the way that the, the Stipler and Rav Shach in a joint letter, the way they describe the observation of a child is that everything I see is part of my chinuch. It's part of my, my education. I'm assimilating the information in a way where, yes, if I see enough of this conduct or this type of behavior or this form of interaction, this becomes normal. This becomes acceptable. Rav Shach writes, together with the stipler, people think sometimes we could be more, more relaxed with the children. Ki when it comes to children, there's more of a danger. Because that innate desire to copy, that I want to do just like he's doing, that innate desire is there in a child more so than it is in an adult. My son enjoys playing a K2, a basketball game. And... It's very realistic. They have actual NBA players who are presently playing. Very well done. What's uh, disappointing is that when somebody misses a shot or they're called for a foul, how does the game depict the player's reaction? Right? It's something like this. And then you have the coaches, right? <laughs> I don't think I don't, they don't have speaking, I don't think, but that's the image. That what's, what's actually happening is, is a fairly realistic portrayal of what happens in, in real life. And that's why they did it. But if you look at it objectively, what happens in real life is you have grown men who are throwing a tantrum, who are acting like a child. You don't like the call, so you're going to start screaming at the ref. B'nai Aliyah don't react in that way. We don't start screaming at somebody or throwing our hands up in the air because we didn't like the call. And these are people that children look up to on some level. 
something that's so benign, it's so trivial, but if a kid's playing this game, where you might assume, listen, you know, it's, it's fairly wholesome, it's just basketball, but what are the underlying messages? Therefore, we destroyed the game. We burnt it. But what are the underlying messages? That those people that you look up to as, as, as great athletes, and this is the way they respond with kas and gaiva. Oh, so one day, hopefully, I could act like a behemoth just like they do. That's the message. Rav Shach and the Stipler conclude, Vigam ki eitzel hatsair nechkach lo bedimyono ma'od kol ma'sharoa. Everything a child sees is etched in the mind, ubefrat ma'sharoa behispalus, especially something that's experienced behispalus, that means with a feeling. If there's music and there's intensity and there's excitement, as I'm watching something that penetrates the kishkas more, that has more of a lasting impact. Rev. Aaron Feldman, Shlita, the Rosh Hashiva in Baltimore, he said at one of the uh, Agudas Yisrael conferences, Judaism is under attack from many quarters. The most serious attack is the infiltration through various means of the value system of our host nations into our society, resulting inevitably in our assimilation of those values. We must bring to the attention of our people and especially our children what true Torah values are and why we reject the culture of the nations. We are all subject to this subtle and ongoing indoctrination in Western civilization's view of life as centered on man and his attainment of physical pleasure. Nearly every advertisement contains the suggestion that the purchase of a particular product will ensure the satisfaction of physical desires, of pleasure, or of personal recognition and importance. This is the ongoing message that's fed to us. Judaism is, and always has been, a countercultural force in human society. As long as we remain steadfast, in our own beliefs and values, we will flourish. It is only when we begin to adopt the cultural understandings of the other nations, then we begin to fall. We must take up the battle to teach our fellow Jews that the survival of Klal Yisrael depends upon maintaining our uniqueness as a nation. Now, although Dying Grunfeld told us in the introduction we read earlier, that Rosham Shemifal Hirsch was of the opinion that the third option was the, the best solution we have facing the problem of what they referred to as Jewish emancipation. Rosham Shemifal Hirsch also writes in the 19 letters, letter 18, letter 8 rather, when he speaks about the, the identity and the mission of Klal Yisrael, he concludes a letter by saying, Blessed with all these gifts, this people had to remain separate from the nations, lest it learn from them to consider these blessings and end in themselves and consequently perish 
like the other nations, through the worship of possessions and pleasures. Could one make the argument that as society moves more in the direction of Hefkerus, that Ramosha Feinstein was speaking about in the 1970s, that we now have a greater obligation to be moving in the opposite direction. And whatever was required of us to try to maintain, like the Chazanish taught us, that, that framework of the Rambam, where conceptually we're living in our own place, maybe the call of the hour is to now go more to the other extreme to combat that current of civilization. The Rambam tells us in general, when it comes to working on any midah, if I find myself very weak in a particular area, the goal is that, that, middle, that middle path. However, if I'm faltering, the way to get back to the middle is to go to the other extreme. So maybe that's true when it comes to our, our identity as a nation. If we're living in a world that seems to be headed more towards that extreme hefkerus and promoting the lack of values, promoting the, the lack of morality, maybe we need to be even more insular and more enclosed than we have been. We'll conclude with the Ralbag. The Ralbag explains that Noah, during his time, when we know that the, the world was saturated with the lack of morality, Noah himself went to the other extreme. Shirafua tie bemidos hapuchusos hetek el hafcham mikotzel kotzel. Like the Rambam teaches, we have to go to the other, other extreme to get back to the middle. Noah, understanding the danger that he was in, trying to maintain his righteousness, his piety, his connection with Hashem, who nirpa mizos hamida hapuchusa. How did he heal himself from this, this, this overarching energy that was pulling him into an immoral world? By going to the other extreme of, of having no connection with anything that might bring him down or bring him into that, that power and force of the culture around him. And if you read the Rabbah carefully, he doesn't say that Noah was trying to avoid, but he says the word nirpa, which means he was trying to heal himself because he was also influenced. So like we started, this is not the entire picture, but at least we could have an appreciation of the question of are we too insular? Are we too isolated from the world around us? There is a strong argument, a cogent argument to say, the more sheltered, the better. Are there dangers to that approach? The answer is resounding, yes, there are many. Are there dangers to compromising on that approach? The answer is yes, there are many. So we'll end with this for now, and we'll continue and broaden the conversation next time in Mirza Hashem. Have a good night.